the idea. This isn't our first rodeo. You know what to sign up for. If there's not a slot for it or I forgot something, make a slot. You're welcome to edit my sign-up sheet all you want and put in what you're going to do. We have the usual, the inflatables. It'll have to be somewhat manned. We don't want to be you know, overly zealous about this, that, or the other thing. We just want to make sure that no kids get hurt or anything. So someone to watch that. Um, and then people to do hot dogs. I think Ben Libick's already snagged that one up, so nobody gets to do hot dogs. But Ben, he, he stopped me. He goes, I got hot dogs, right? I got hot dogs. I said, you got the hot dogs. You got the hot dogs. Uh, so, um, and then cakewalk cakes, you know, sign up for it if you want to. But if this is something you do every year, just make a cake. You don't need to sign up. We trust you. We just want to make sure there's enough, you know, for all the kids when they go through that. That's like one of the highlights is the cakewalk. And I, I understand, you know, who doesn't like cake? Anyway, that's out there. Um, next Sunday, uh, after second service, we'll be having our final uh, baptism out at Mazingo. <laughs> uh, but we got a brother that wants to get baptized. And so if there's anybody else that wants to join him, so we just have one um, at two o'clock out at Mazingo Lake Beach. So join us for that. And then, uh, let's see, what else is going on? The usual Bible studies throughout the week um, and so on. So let's get into God's word here. Um, As we get into Job chapter 10, Job finishes his thought about what's going on with him. And remember, this is the scenario where they're all together, he and his three friends. The three friends have been quiet as long as they could, but they decided to start answering Job. It bothered them that he was speaking the way he was speaking. And they saw it as an opportunity sometimes to take the leadership role over his life, to be his teacher as opposed to him being their teacher. They liked that. Um, they like to challenge him on his righteousness that he proclaimed, but all of them have somewhat, um, well, not false doctrine, but a funny view of God that isn't exactly accurate. That's about the best way I can put it, which I'm sure we all do in some ways. I'm sure we'll all be corrected in some ways when we get to heaven, we'll be like, oh, you know, you know, got that wrong kind of thing. I'm sure of it. Um, but, but this is awfully wrong, and, and God doesn't wait too long to respond to them and to correct them, because he doesn't want them to go on to think the way they think about him. And that's what I take, around, take away from Job the most, is our God is a God who wants to be known. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. Um, And as long as we all start off with the healthy understanding of who he is and who we are in comparison and know that he is good, know that he is love, that'll help our doctrine tremendously as we uh, work out our own salvation, as we study scripture, as we keep the, the basics down about who he is, his character, and that that's unchanging. So even when we read something that seems that God's character has changed, it hasn't knowing that about him. So therefore, I'm misunderstanding this, and we rework what our first initial impression was of that passage. It's a very good way to study. And so the beautiful book, you know, I was, as I was studying today, Jenny, how was your study time? It was, it was good. I said, it's, it's Job. You know, it's as good as it gets for someone who's got boils over their head, you know, from head to toe and has lost their entire family and everything they own. It's, it's, it's that kind of good, you know. And uh, she shared with me, which, you know, I just get out my notepad right away in my pen, you know, Um, but very good insight as usual. Um, 
that the Gospels are good to read and to go over and to, and to study, and they give us a synopsis of his life with some uh, focal points that really the, the author decides, whatever Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John decides to bring out of each one of their Gospels, and every, every one of them brings a little bit something different out about Jesus, and that's good, but they're all, they're all very myopic views of, of Jesus in certain areas with one big broad stroke of his life. But the rest of Scripture, I believe brings out in detail some of God's attributes. For example, um, we like Paul's writings to the epistles because we see doctrine being laid out clearly for those churches to know and understand. But if you step back a little bit further, you'll notice that you also see in Paul the heart of a shepherd, which is the heart of our father, that he takes the time to teach, to train up, to help people mature in their faith. And so we, although we understand Ephesians and we love Galatians, we also step back and say, but Paul had the same heart God does to take the time to write that out. So you get a little bit of that. Now to Job, the Bible says several times that he is a man, Jesus was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. And so it's very important that we immerse ourselves in this Job and not shun it and not try to get out of it as fast as we can, although we will go through a couple chapters today because we don't want to spend years in Job. But we do need to absorb Job and spend time in Job because if our Savior was acquainted with grief and sorrow, certainly he wants us to be acquainted with it. It's going to come our way. It does come our way. It has come our way, grief. Morning, sorrow, did a funeral on Friday, um, and there was grief and mourning, and, and a moment like that is very important to spend time in and to not get out of. We often try to cheer people up or get people through it or let's, uh, let's, let's help them and make it like it's not as bad as it really is, and I understand that. We want to alleviate suffering in, in any way we can, and that's normal. It's a good heart, good thing to do. But you also have to go through it. You do. You know, they'd lost their uh, dad, grandpa, husband. And although you have your funeral preparations and you sit down with the funeral director and they're still alive, but you're kind of making all the plans and getting things ready. And you, while you're doing that, things are kind of working out in your heart. And you're really thinking about it more than you have in the past. And you're kind of getting yourself prepared for the loss, you know. But boy, when you lose... When they actually go, when it's the day of, it's a whole different deal. I mean, you kind of prepared yourself. It's like bracing for a hit kind of thing, you know. But boy, when it hits, it's a lot different than bracing for the hit. And you go through a set of emotions and you go through things that you never thought you'd go through. And you have to work out things that you didn't work out in the pre-death stage, you know. And that's where we come in alongside of each other and are here to help. Job has theoretically and from an academic standpoint taught these guys all the things about the Lord. What it means to suffer, what it means to go, what, how, who God is. If you, do, if you do the right thing, you don't suffer. If you do the wrong thing, you do suffer. And he's been teaching all these things. Well, here it is. And it's hitting him hard. And he's kind of dumbfounded by it a little bit. And his students seem to be pleased that he's not handling it well, although I think he's doing a pretty good job, and I think God does too. I mean, there's some correction at the end, but for the most part, he's doing and handling this tremendous grief. 
He hasn't prepared for this. He didn't see this coming. He didn't know. This blindsided him, you know? You got to keep that in mind when we read this and we read his thoughts and they're like, well, he didn't say that right and that's not doctrinally correct. Oh my goodness. I, I pray that nobody documents my words, you know, like that. Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to say things that aren't exactly doctrinally correct. But it comes from grief. It comes from working it out. What he hasn't done is he hasn't cursed God. What he hasn't done is walked away from the Lord. He's included God in every single part of his conversation. He has brought him in. Right or wrong, he's brought God into it. But he's still God's servant throughout the whole thing. He's just a questioning servant. He's an asking servant. He might be at times a belligerent servant. But he's still a servant, you know. So, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh, or do you see as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you should seek my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know that I am I'm not wicked, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. His question is, is this fun for you? No, you wish he hadn't said it. But he says, I'm at the bottom I mean, I don't know exactly what God could do to me from here on out, so I'm going to be free with my expression and my complaint, is what he starts off with. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, my next step is death. And that's what he's going to say in this chapter. My next step is going to the darkness of darkness of darkness places that I do not return from. So, I mean, before I go there, which is where he is sure he is headed and does not understand his future or what God's plans are for him, but that is where he thinks his next step is. And it's a logical conclusion. Take out my family, take out my, well, take out my stuff. Fine, take out my family, okay. Take out my health, fine. Well, the next step. I mean, it's obvious where we're headed here. It's not where they're headed, where he's headed, but that's what he thinks. So he says, I'm gonna give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Why not? You know? We get into some trouble there. You think about the bitterness of soul, and we think about how Jesus was acquainted with grief, and we see this book is given to us to explain what it looks like in the depths of grief. We're in a man's heart here. What we observed in the Gospels and what we read about in Jesus's, in the midst of all of the suffering and sorrow that he had in this lifetime We learn what a, an example looks like of what we're supposed to walk. This is what we're supposed to do. If we had the same heart as Jesus had towards his father, if we had that heart towards our father, we would be able to and can walk through that grief like he walks through that grief. That's one of the common scriptures that we use in a, uh, in a funeral setting, and, and this is usually graveside, but you do the, you know, the Psalm 23. Because there's hope at the end of Psalm 23. The very last few words of Psalm 23 is, is hope. And so you want to go there. And you, but it starts off in pretty dark. They, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I mean, it's not where it starts, but it's in there, you know. Because you're with me. You're walking with me, you know. 
Jesus has walked through this grief. Jesus has walked through your grief. Make it personal. And so we do have an example of what we can do and how we can walk through our grief with him and be like him and not sin in it, which is always my goal, to trust him completely. If you're going to put a a title or a one-word maybe topic for chapter 10 is to trust him, to just trust. Job doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know why it's happening. He doesn't know where he's headed. And that can, or we can find ourselves in that place many times in our lives. But if I can just then at that point, trust him, trust the process and not flee from it, I'd be better on the other side of it. I know I will. I know that's I know him. I know his thoughts. I know because he shares them with me. Yeah, because I know God better than anybody else, but because he's made it clear to me what his thoughts are about me. His thoughts are precious as the sands of the sea. He knows the numbers of hairs on my head. He's very interested in the very small parts of my life. He says he is. I trust him. So when I run into big sorrows or big difficulties that come into my life, big, you know, blindsided moments, I know I I don't, I don't have to know why, but I, I can truly trust this is going to be fine, however it goes. And I'm not going to have any preconceived ideas of where it's going. I can, I can stop myself from that, those scenarios. Well, the next step is this. I don't know what the next step is. Maybe it is that. I think a lot of us just like to be in the know, you know. We do. If someone will say something, you say, oh, yeah, well, you know what's going to happen. And I, don't, I don't know why we feel the need to say that. You don't know what's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen. And we, like, and we like to guess. Any pregnant lady that's ever existed has nothing but guessers in her life. Oh, it's the boy, I can tell. You don't know that. Well, you're carrying high or you're carrying low or we held something over your stomach and it turned counterclockwise. What is this, voodoo witchcraft? What are you talking about? You don't know what gender the baby is. But you got a 50-50 shot. And you know what's funny? The baby's born and it's a boy. They say, I knew it was a boy. He didn't. You got, you know, he didn't. But we love to be in the know. And if I can get over that with my life... And not try to guess where God's headed with this. I'll be pleasantly surprised or at least not horribly disappointed either, you know? To just let him do what he wants to do, to let him be God. We have a man that the Bible describes who's acquainted. We don't think about that, the grief, the cross. I mean, when you think about Jesus' grief and his suffering, it's the cross. You know, it's the whippings, it's the blood that was shed, it's the broken body. Of course it is. But this kid, I say with all respect and honor and reverence, Jesus Christ, grew up with everybody assuming his mom had him out of wedlock. Do you know what the kids would say to someone like that in a culture where that is completely unacceptable? We live in a culture where that's just normal nowadays. And so those kids don't get that kind of ridicule at church or at school or anywhere anymore. And so there isn't that. We don't really maybe understand this, but that is not how it was back then. This was a constant barrage towards mom, Mary, who says to everybody that the child's father is God himself. This is God's son. Sure, Mary, their whole lives. That's what he grew up with. 
He grew up with brothers and sisters that didn't understand why he was born, how he was born. I don't even know if they looked at mom kind of funny because they certainly didn't treat Jesus like he was who she said he was. So maybe it was an unspoken thing in the house also for the kids. Sure, mom. I don't know. They don't get saved till later on, till after his resurrection. So talk about someone who's been equated with grief their whole life, which brings me to the funeral that I did on Friday. And, um, and, the, and why I have a lot of compassion for you people right now. And I don't always have compassion for you people. Sometimes I have compassion. Right now I'm, I'm overwhelmed as I look at your faces because as I heard, you know, you, you sit with the family and you try to glean as much as you can from them. At times it's really difficult because they're just not in that. They like to tell stories, anecdotes, but you don't get the heart of the person necessarily. And um, I, I knew the person a little bit, um, you know, well, pretty good but nothing like they knew him, you know, so you try to glean a little bit and it just came out. I, you know, I read the obituary and you, know, you kind of go over that and it's pretty, pretty short summation of someone's life. An obituary is, you know, and it said in there in the obituary that um, raised from his infancy by his uncle. And I just kind of went over that. What do you mean? You know, well, this person who, whose mom died like 28 days, 27 days or something like that after his birth. And then dad left. And so this baby was raised by uncle who then had to go to World War II, who then was then passed over to grandma and grandpa to raise. Now, no offense, I knew this person, but that just absolutely blew everything out of the water because that was the start. That was this kid's start. I'm so grateful for the family I had, for the parents I had, for the grandparents I had, for the love that surrounded me. As much as I complain or moan or groan about how it wasn't perfect, you know, or whatever it is that comes up in my mind, my mom didn't die when I was 27 days old. My dad didn't leave our family. And then I wasn't raised by my uncle who had to go to World War II. And then I got raised by my grandparents. I mean, I didn't have that. And to look at this person's life then in that, through that lens, through that grief, through that sorrow, through that overcoming, wow. Makes, it makes a lot of things more clear, you know. We only know a little bit about each other. We really do. You see someone from a certain lens, you know. Um, I knew this person from a workplace situation. That's how I knew them. Um, but I didn't know them from this angle, a dad. I didn't know them from this angle as a grandpa. I didn't know them from this angle as a husband. I didn't know. There's a lot of angles to us, you know? There's a lot of ways. There's a, we live complicated lives. There's more to us than, and, and for the most part, I see most of you people in this setting right here. So this is the lens I see you in. But I'm looking at your faces, and I'm seeing there is a, there's a world of hurt, suffering that's gone on in your life that you've had to overcome, that you've had to deal with, that there are emotions that you've had to work through, seasons in your life that nobody knows you've gone through, you know? And so, of course, I'm bringing it back to Job, how very important that we rest here for a little bit in this Job to know that we watch this and we see this man go through what he goes through, and this is actually therapy for a lot of people. 
to read what he's saying, to understand where he's coming from. Some of you know better than anybody, you know. We give everybody, you know, every time you study this, you give Job's wife a hard time. Oh, boy. Curse God and die. You know where that comes from, though, now. It comes from the loss of every single child she's ever birthed. That's where that comes from. You know, I'm done. Grief's overcome me. I've lost. I lost the battle. Just curse God and die. Let's just be done with this. So let's get over with it. Mean, I want out of the grief as fast as possible. I don't care how it comes. That's her. So may God forgive me for ever treating her with some kind of arrogant, childish contempt. Never been there. Never gone through that. Have no idea what she must be grieving over. I don't want to ever know that, you know? But he doesn't give us Job and the correction of Job because it is a pretty interesting correction at the end. He doesn't treat Job with kid gloves. He's not gentle with him. There's an expectation from God to say, look, you know, you think you know me, but you should know me a whole lot better and should have trusted me a whole lot more through this process because I've never given you reason. See, everybody in here is talking about God and Job, God and Job, God and Job, but nobody's talking about the enemy who's actually doing all this. It actually is the, the perpetrator of all these crimes and will be held accountable for them. So verse 8, your hands have made me and fashioned me in intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, you made me like clay. And will you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with the skin of flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews and have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit? He's all over the map there. You know, all over. I know you knit me together. I know that, but I'm like milk poured out and I'm curdled and I know I'm made of clay. Are you going to make me to dust? I mean, it's just letting it out. And these things you have hidden in your heart. I know that this is with you. And here's what he believes is with him. If I sin, then you mark me. And, I will, and, and will not equip me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I'm full of disgrace. See my misery? If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. Well, we, we have better insight because we have better scriptures than he probably had. More scripture, anyway. But we know who walks around this earth like a roaring lion seeking who he can destroy. And that's Satan, but he has attributed these things happening to him as an act of God. And it's not. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation towards me, changes in war ever with me. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. Again, going back to what we've read before, I wish I was just never born. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. 
Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone, that I may take a little bit of comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like dark darkness. Now, he's not going there. That's not what it looks like for him, but that is his impression. That is his idea. You know, why didn't you keep this from me is, is the question. Regardless of whether Satan is the perpetrator or not, I do know, and we've talked about this, the elephant in the room is that God allowed it to take place. And so therefore, isn't he ultimately responsible for removing that hedge that he said he gave Job? Because without the hedge, this is, this is the result of you removing that hedge. So you can see why he would say, well, it's your fault. You know, even if he knew the truth, it's still you that did this. But God is in the process of training Job. All of us are in that process. We are being, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We know that. I say that all the time. We've read that. We understand that. Do we understand what's going to take to conform us into the image of Christ. If he's a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, dare I say it out loud, if we're going to be conformed into him, do we not have to partake in that grief and sorrow? We have to. We have to be misunderstood in order to be conformed into his image like he was misunderstood. We have to receive accusations from people that aren't true. Rumors. Things that are said behind closed doors or amongst people, gossiped amongst. We have to face road rage and people that are angry with us for we don't know why. You know? Where does this come from? How do I get conformed to the image of Christ? Well, the image of Christ I want to be conformed into, because you look at him from maybe one lens, is I want to be glorified. I want to have a lot of powers and the abilities to heal people and all that. I, I want to be that, you know. But that, that he got, that resurrection that we're going to have one day, that we're going to be taken home to be with him and we're going to be like him and know him like we're known, there's a whole lot of stuff he went through to be able to handle all that, to use that properly. And he's got to go through some tough things. I, you know, join the military and thought I had joined the, the best branch, you know, the toughest branch. I mean, I went, you know, you're looking at the, you know, I got four choices. That's all you, well, five with Coast Guard, you know. Yeah, five, is that really a choice? No, I'm kidding. Uh, so I'm looking at these five choices and I'm thinking, okay, which one do I want to be? And you're looking at the posters. That's, this is the, in, how in-depth my research was. Which poster do I want to look like by the, you know, by the time I'm done? I look like that guy right there. He looks awesome, you know. And so that's the branch I joined. I had no idea. I didn't even know what special forces were. I had no idea they existed, you know. So after you go through that branch and you, and you kind of, eh, it's not exactly what I thought, but it's okay. It's pretty cool. Whatever. At least I'm not, you know, Coast Guard. But, you know, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. They, they go through some crazy stuff too. I know it. In fact, probably more day-to-day operational, you know, running to drug lords and things like that. I bet they do a lot more than we ever did for sure as far as day-to-day. That being said, um, you have those reservations. Oh, I wish I, I wish I, I, I want, I, I think I could have done, I could have been a special, I think I could have been a seal. Well, the poster looks great. 
and they do get all the cool gear, and they're really left alone, and they can grow as much facial hair as they want, and nobody bothers them on their days off, and they can walk around in their civilian clothes anytime they want to on the ship because they're like, everybody understands that when they go into the field, it ain't fun. And so they, when they get off duty, you just leave them alone, and they walk around like they own the place. It's like, I want that. Do you? You know? I want to be like Jesus. Do I? You know? Do I want to walk up to my best friend's grave and have everybody meet me on the road and say, why didn't you get here sooner? If you'd have gotten here sooner, this wouldn't have happened. And to be able to handle that without saying, you know what? Fine, and walk away be able to walk through all that, have compassion on everybody, understand where they're coming from, walk up to the grave, weep over my friend, and then tell him to come on out. And have everybody who just chewed you out on the way in say, you're the greatest ever. But I wasn't about an hour ago. Do I want to be like Jesus? I do. I do want to be able to handle those moments with grace. I do want to be able to walk through those times. I do want to be acquainted with grief and sorrow. And I say that reluctantly, but I do. And so here we are. And we're looking at the academic version of it through Job, reading it, studying it. It's coming out of a book. And we apply it the best we can to some of the things we've gone through in our lives, but nothing really compares to what we're reading here but we're doing our best to prepare ourselves. Now, he tells them to leave him alone. I've got a, a one note, and I didn't give it to Aaron. I apologize, Aaron, I didn't send it to you. That's all. Psalm 103, 8 through 17, because David writes out of his heart, and he gets it right. He has a very good view of God. He has a very good understanding of God. And so it doesn't have to be like chapter 10 when we talk to the Lord. It can be like Psalm 103. It's very similar. It's amazing how similar it is to what Job just said. But from a different perspective, from a trust, from a relationship, from a knowing that God is good, he is love, he is gracious, he is kind, he is merciful, he's long-suffering. It's exactly what he said. He says in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That's how David starts. Knowing this about God, that you're merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And I'm so glad that you are merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. Doesn't go red hot immediately. I've been wronged. You know, slow to anger. May I be slow to anger. May I abound in mercy. May I be merciful and gracious to those around me. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. David understands that. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's what he's coming from. He goes, I know that I deserve way more than this for what I've done to him and how rebellious I've been against him. He has a healthy understanding of who he is in comparison to God. And so he responds appropriately. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has or has so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And pity is not like 
the, the way we use the word. It's truly just feels bad that we're going through what we're going through. Truly has care for us. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Remember clay? He just said we were made from clay. Are you seeing the comparison here and how healthy David has? A healthy view of God David has? As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. He understands that. He understands that the suffering that we go through down here is temporary and fleeting. All of it. And that we come through and on the other side of it is him. He knows he's going to be with the Lord. He understands that his place is with God. He's not going to the darkness of darkness of darkness, you know. He understands it and he trusts God's process. He trusts what God is doing with him. I keep saying that, trust the process, only because my nephew, uh, Jack Noel, he trains athletes. That's what he does. You know, went to school for training athletes. And the athletes, um, from what I can understand from his posts and how he, you know, relates, he constantly tells them that, trust the process. Trust the process. Because they're frustrated with their lack of gains. You know, I want it now. I want to be stronger now. I want to be faster now. I want to be more agile I want to be quicker on my feet. I want to, I want to master this, whatever it is, you know, the ladder run or whatever it is that they do. I watch them go through that and fumble through that. When am I going to get it? Like I see all these other professional athletes get it. He says, trust the process. It's not over yet. We're about, you know, a week into a 10-week thing here. You know, it takes time. And the gains don't come till eight or nine weeks. This is all just getting your smaller, you know, all the things he has to go through for them to understand. We cannot build up your bulk muscle groups until we get your smaller muscle groups able to withstand and hold on, you know. I should, I should probably ask Brian, I should ask you more about this than anybody. Uh, Brian lifts and understands you've got to have the small and, and the large, and that's why free weights are so important, and they make you do all the muscles and not just the, the big ones, although... You know, he's got some gains. I mean, you got some gains, Brian. Uh, I'm impressed. I've got gains. They're just different. It's different muscle group, just working a different muscle group. Trust the process is the idea. Don't be impatient with the process. Don't quit the process. As we walk with Jesus, I, I need to trust him. I need to trust what he's doing. I don't want to be impatient with him, although I, I am. I need to keep quiet and just know I am being conformed into the image of Christ. I'm being conformed in the image of Christ. And know that. And walk that way every day. So Zophar responds. It's his buddy sitting there quietly listening. Then Zophar, the Namathite, answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? He said, we know where he's headed. I've been listening to you long enough. Should I keep silent while you say all these empty words, you empty-headed, you know, Job? I'm going to rebuke you. Oh, thanks for coming. 
For you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. They're taking notes. This is clear back from chapter 6. I remember you just said that, right? You said, you're, you're sinless? Is that right? Oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. That he would show you the secret of wisdom. For they would double your prudence. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Well, that's true. (laughs) I mean, we just read that in David. But it's better that come from the heart of the person suffering, not from the person trying to minister. I mean, that's not how you walk in someplace and say, oh, gosh, I don't know why this is happening to me. Well, you know you deserve worse than this, right? Thank you for coming. Leave the flowers on the table, you know. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons, and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? You can see him trying to defend God. I mean, that's what he's doing. All those things are, they're right, you know. But you can see what it looks like when even right words and accurate assessments of our God given out with the wrong heart are just inappropriate. We, we don't help him out when we defend him like this, you know. God is long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. He's slow to anger. And if I'm going to minister to somebody who might be shaking their fist at God, why this and why that, my job is not to stand. Sorry about that, God. I didn't know he was going to say that to you. You know, and just give them a spiritual beat down there. Now talk to God. That's better. You're more humble. He's ready to listen. You know, that's not how he wants us to respond. We're not called to that. We're called to respond like he responds. That's why we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to walk in to the situation and be long-suffering and be slow to anger and be gracious and merciful for the person. I've seen people flip a switch in the middle of their tirade against God. I've seen them break down and apologize to God and ask for forgiveness right in front of me. I've seen that happen. Mad as nails. Why? Just going off. And I'm just like, oh, man, you know, where do I start? Okay, Genesis 1.1. I mean, I don't know where to start. And in the middle of that, I see them just get overwhelmed with their own emotion And just get broken before the Lord. And it's like watching a master at work. I mean, it is. I didn't say a thing. I'm watching the Holy Spirit come into someone's life in the middle of it. And as they're screaming and yelling and throwing a fit, him wrap his arms around them in the middle of the conversation while they're wanting to kill him and beat on his chest and have them just break down and sob in their father's arms and be healed. Emotionally, just just don't... And I'm like, well, I don't even know why I came, you know? Except for them to have an opportunity to start screaming and yelling and doing their thing. And I'm so glad I didn't say anything. I mean, because you start formulating the thoughts. You start answering their questions for them. Why did God? Well, I'll tell you why God, you know? Didn't say a word. So far, probably shouldn't have helped here. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands towards him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, 
then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear, but you would forget your misery. Uh, because you would forget your misery and remember it, it, it as waters that have passed away and your life would be brighter than noonday. Uh, though, uh, though you were dark, you would be like the morning. You would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest and safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape and their hope loss of life. And then, I mean, the short version of that is if you just repent, if you just admit it, it's the same thing, and you wouldn't have any of these problems, and God could restore you, and you forget your miseries like water under the, be all under, you know, water under the bridge. And then people will start coming to you and asking you for advice again, but not till this gets straightened out, you know. And so he doesn't help. Now, Job in chapter 12, which we won't get into today, I don't want to go there, but we will next week, and we'll probably do 12... Uh, we'll do 12, 13, and 14 next week is what we're going to do. Job answers him. Um, I'll read you the, f- the first two verses. Then Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. That's his response. A lot of sarcasm there. Oh, you know, so glad you, ca- oh, I mean, with, I don't know what we're going to do when you die. All wisdom will die with you, you know, kind of thing. So it, it, it's not going well. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, we thank you for putting us here as a fellowship. Um, at this season, at this time, you've got us in, you, you have us in Job for a reason. And we're learning. Um, we, don't, we don't know exactly what you're going to bring out of this because we are chapters and chapters and chapters away from the end and your response. But we, we trust the process. We know you have us in this book for a reason. We know that you're not necessarily preparing us for the other shoe to drop in our lives, for trials and tribulations to come our way. You may be for some of us. But for the most part, you're trying to express the, what, what your son dealt with better than Job. How he went through grief and sorrow, but trusting you and understanding that I understand the cup has to be drunk from. And if, it's, if there is any other way, let it pass for me. But if there isn't, I'm all... I'm willing to drink from this cup. And he understood that. And we want to pray that way now. We don't want to leave this chapter or these chapters this morning not changed. And so we want to say out loud, thank you for what you're bringing us through, carrying us through, putting us through, allowing into our lives, however you want to put it. We thank you for it because your word says to give thanks in all things and through all things and for all things regardless of whether they're a positive or a negative, we can thank you for it because you're molding us and you're shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus. And good, bad, or ugly, it's for our benefit because that's what we asked you to do when we got saved. We want to be more like you. I want to handle things like you do. I want to minister to people like you do. And that's a process. And there's some things that have to happen in my life. So we thank you for that, God. Bring us through. Help us not to quit. Help us to allow you to bring that fruit to fruition in our lives, God. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.